0: Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it.
1: Abortion. It's one of the most controversial issues in our society, right? Wrong. Abortion is popular, and it's so common that you definitely know at least one person who's had an abortion. Maybe you've had an abortion yourself. So why is so much media coverage stuck, portraying abortion just as a subject of political debate and not a normal part of human experience? I'm Garnet Henderson, and I'm a journalist who specializes in covering abortion. On my show, Access, we talk about abortion in every single episode, answering all the questions that you might have felt afraid to ask. There are no pundits here, only experts, including real people who've had abortions. We've covered everything from abortion and religion to the myth of abortion regret to the fact that adoption isn't a real alternative to abortion. And we cover a new topic in every episode. You can find access wherever you get your podcasts or at apodcastaboutabortion.com.
0: In a world that constantly encourages you to change, it's bold to just be yourself. Sexual expression and satisfaction are different for everybody. So rather than conforming to others, focus on falling in love with who you are. Lions Den sources the very best products to help you find what you like and help you feel confident expressing your sexual desires. You can get 15% off in store and online using code sexedwithdb at lionsden.com to begin exploring everything about yourself. Follow them on social at lionsdenadult on Instagram and TikTok. Let's talk about lube and condoms. Something important to know is that oil based lube is not to be used with condoms because the oil can cause the condom to break or tear, which would defeat the purpose of using it. Thank goodness for UberLube. UberLube is latex compatible, so it's safe and effective to use with condoms. But wait, there's more. Dispensing two drops of UberLube inside a condom and a measured pump outside will increase pleasure. What are you waiting for? Use code SexEdWithDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. I'm sure you've heard the phrase bottoming before, but do you really know what it entails, pun intended? When it comes to anal sex, there's typically a top and a bottom, and any combination of the two. The top is defined as the insertive partner, and the bottom is defined as the receptive partner. If you're interested in anal play or bottoming, the three major muscles in our butt need to be relaxed for complete and successful entry. After you started to experiment with the tip of a finger or a butt plug with lots and lots of lube, you may want to slowly graduate to a pre-bottoming anal training routine to ensure the best experience. Enter the glass anal dilator set with three gradual dilators, small, medium, and large plugs from Future Method. And an important fun fact, an anal surgeon designed these glass dilators so you know that he's got your back and your bottom. To learn more about bottoming and the glass dilator set, go to futuremethod.com and use code sexedwithdb with DB for 15% off at checkout. Hello, wonderful sex ed with DB listeners. I am excited today to share a really, really amazing guest who I've been a fan of for a really long time. I've been following her work on Instagram and reading about her and just am really privileged to have her on. Her name is Dr. Jennifer Mullen. And in this episode, uh, Dr. Mullen and I discuss her incredible organization and international movement, Decolonizing Therapy. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, We chat about colonialism and how it impacts the way in which therapists practice therapy and how patients receive therapy. And we go off really on uh, honoring and centering rage and not necessarily seeing it as a bad thing, but as a necessity. And I even surprisingly got a little emotional while talking about it, something to unpack later. Uh, So I'm just really stoked and thrilled for you to hear this amazing, amazing episode. It's just, yeah, really wonderful. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. A couple housekeeping things. Uh, Don't forget that we have incredible discounts for you at sexedwithdb.com slash discounts from our wonderful sponsors. And do you want us to read your rating and your review on Apple Podcasts? on the podcast, I I want to do that. If you want to go to Apple podcasts and rate and review us, submit that DM us a screenshot of you doing that, and we will read them on the podcast. Uh, So don't forget to do that. Do that on Spotify too. If you really enjoyed this episode and you have a friend who's a therapist, send it to them and ask them what they think about it. Without further ado, please enjoy Dr. Jennifer Mullen. Hello, Dr. Jennifer Mullen. How are you today?
2: I am doing wonderful. Hello, hello, Danielle. Thank you for having me.
0: It is my honor. Uh, I have been following you from afar for quite a long time, and I'm a very, very big fan of your work. So I'm honored and privileged to be able to have a conversation with you today on Sex Ed with DB. So thanks again for being here. Uh, Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love for you to share a little bit of yourself. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about your work and the many, many talents that you have.
2: (laughs) You're really kind. Many, many talents. (laughs) Um, My name, I'm Dr. Jennifer Mullen, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, community, um, the sex ed community for welcoming me on in. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I was born and raised on the East Coast in the tri-state area, the New York-New Jersey area of Lenape Lenape land. Um, I currently reside in New Jersey. I am also very bicoastal. Uh, my doctoral program was in the Bay Area of California. I am a proud New York, New Jerseyite. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Some people say they hear it in my accent and other people are like, no, we don't hear it. (laughs) Depends on where you're from. Yeah. Um, What I can tell you about me is, hmm, let me see. I am a daughter and a cat mom and a sister and a teacher and a healer um, and a partner and I am a lover of all things ocean and stars and uh, nature under the night sky. I'm a lover of deep conversations, of anything that involves a sense of depth and intimacy and vulnerability. Um, what else can I tell you? I also have a deep connection to um, my my deep inner rage child and my rage ancestral inheritance and along with that rage comes a great deal of compassion vulnerability with myself and with others i love holding space you know when it feels equitable and boundary filled and i have capacity for it a bit about decolonizing therapy i was lovingly forced into instagram let me just say that (laughs)
0: lovingly forced okay setting the scene
2: Oh right. So I I, so I long time ago was doing a lot of work with People's Institute of Survival and Beyond. And so this is their word, voluntold. So I was voluntold so by my students. Um so I facilitated a peer education group for about 13, 14 years. That peer education group also saved my life back in my early 20s in mm-hmm. college. And years later, I came back from California, and I was offered this temporary position at the counseling center at a university. All of this to say, it became one of the greatest loves of my life and periods of my life, being able to facilitate, amongst other things at the university, this magnificent peer education group, which was a mix of activism, psychodrama, somatic work. Interactive presentation and programming around sex, drugs, relationships for college students, um, as well as these beautiful retreats I would do t- two times a year with our students that were deep, deep, deep. And so uh, we did rage retreats. We did uh, family generational trauma retreats. You know, they're meditating on the beach, mm. screaming, crying, vomiting.
0: <laughs> Every orifice, something's happening. Yep,
2: yep. I think that decolonizing therapy um, came out of my very holistic interactive work with those students and with other individuals who had very full lives despite trauma, despite the historical trauma that they went through, despite the intergenerational trauma that they received without consent, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Um, Despite um, living or growing up at or below poverty level, or in the inner city, um, living with multiple intersecting identities, I noticed that my students and myself managed to find joy and repair within ourselves, as well as moments of tenderness and the beginnings of healthy relationships together. Um, Because I think relationship, right, can be with friends, loved ones, colleagues, like, right? Relationship is so massive with, with earth with the trees (laughs) so um, decolonizing therapy is about i think lovingly as possible but earnestly and honestly looking at what i believe is our original attachment wound Mm. which is the colonial attachment wound right where how why were we ripped away from our customs our lands many of us all of us, many right Um, what happens when and if we're allowed to be replaced on those lands Um, what is our relationship with the land that we're currently on and it's a loving request and demand for the mental health field systems you know institutions and structures and all of that as well as those of us in individual or group practice working in universities it's a loving demand to um, create A, more equitable practices, more holistic practices that involves the other, right? Not just completely shutting away our humanity. Many practitioners are very, um, I believe, like our, our sensitivity and our ways of knowing and our other ways of knowing, <laughs> with with a capital K, other ways of knowing, um, has been sort of euthanized, right? And, and, and sort of, killed off in us. We've been told to be as apolitical, as neutral to as many things as possible Mm -hmm. to sort of be this blank slate walking into the room or holding space. And I think about my most loving therapists, helpers, healers, space holders, um, there was nothing neutral about them. Hmm. Right? There was nothing neutral about, not that they were sitting there like, this is what I believe, and sure. this is what I need you to do. No. I mean, <laughs> there was tenderness, there was vulnerability. But um, these systems instructors currently have been making people feel for many, many years like we're problematic, like we're the reason why we have depression, anxiety, blah, 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 blah. And my work in this world is to say, hey, no, you're probably really great. And your nervous system, your body, mind, and spirit is responding to really violent, unhealthy environmental systems around us. So your body and your mind are doing exactly what they should be doing, which is like fucking, oh, can I curse? You sure which can. Okay. You sure can. <laughs> which is the last thing I'll say, which is to fucking protect us deeply. And so I want to remind people that we are as well as possible and that we can get back to that innate wellness that we've known and that our cultures and our ancestors have known for eons, and we deserve to ask these mental health and every other kind of field you could think of for better ways because it is incomplete as it stands.
0: Listen, listen. The intro- <laughs> that was a <laughs> lot. That was a lot. No, 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 no. The intro question. First of all, I have a I have a lot to respond to. I have to tell you that we have a lot of similarities from your beginning intro. It's very rare for some reason for guests to share like really like pieces of them rather than just kind of start off with their uh their job kind of title and i need to tell you i'm a long island gal so i'm from new york i live in oakland i'm a bay area girl as well so i really relate to this bicoastal thing ocean lover like listen i love the beach i every time i go into the ocean i'm like water is healing like this is amazing like I, I just really relate to that and I just love talking about the ocean with whoever wants to talk to me about it so anytime you yes. let me know um, yes. and you mentioned that you really love like intimate deep conversation I am exactly like that as well so I just loved hearing all that because I feel like we would be pals and would be great friends so I just want to throw that out there for a second um, <laughs> we have a lot in common there <clears throat> And I really, really appreciate everything you said. Um, And I feel like that was such a full and rich intro because this isn't just like a question answer kind of episode, right? There are a lot of things that we need to kind of unpack here and go through. And for folks who are listening who haven't necessarily heard of this aspect of, you know, your work or this concept of decolonizing therapy, they, you know, they might have some some questions and need to to break it down bit by bit, right? So I think, I think like- Before we even get into that, I want to know a little bit more about how you specifically came to this work and maybe like what has been like surprising to you along the way. And like I want to hear a little bit more. You mentioned it briefly, but of you in therapy as a patient, like how did that experience kind of mold and shape you into doing the work that you're doing today?
2: love these questions and I'm going to look at the clock so that I don't go on because again with deep and intimate questions when I when I receive these types of questions I get really excited mm-hmm. and um yeah so I just wanted to totally on. so okay uh, and by the way side note um when I in my doctoral program I lived I am lived in San Francisco in the Excelsior District and then I kind of couldn't afford that now mind you this is back in like Oh, I'm going to date myself here. This is like maybe 2005, 2006, right? And I moved to Oakland, Lake Merritt yes. on Lennox Ave uh, or Lennox Street, right across from Children's Ferry. Amazing. So now that very apartment is probably triple oh my God. what I was paying. Yeah, that's but, a
0: whole other thing.
2: But I got to enjoy Amazing. it. Amazing. <laughs> yes.
0: I love the lake.
2: Um, I love the lake. So, yes. Okay. Well, first of all, I started, I don't even know where to start. There's so much. So, let me say that um, back in 2000, Perfect Setup, back in 2004, 2005, I left my master's program. I finished. Um, I went to NYU Steinhardt School of Ed, and I, my major was counseling and community agencies. And I thought I was just going to work in a hospital setting. I was still very much what I lovingly call like a rigid, psychoanalytic, competitive, ego-minded New Yorker, mm-hmm. bless them, love them, but I <laughs> no shade. But, um, and I had a teacher years later, uh, my, my spiritual mama, Bola, shout out to her in the Bay area. Who's was like, Jen, people go to New York to do, I'm trying to do her voice if you can't tell. Oh. <laughs> people go to New York to do, people come to California to be. And I was oh. like, Oh, because that was my experience. I came into my classes at CIIS transpersonal psychology first day of class and I'm like raising my hand I'm all intense and I'm ready to do this work and I'm great at trauma work and I just finished working at UMDNJ hospital trauma unit I felt like I was going to be the next expert in trauma and be like a dean of a university Mm. or I had all these very rigid no shade deans or anyone else but I had all these very like I was perfectly trained and prompted to be a Western psychotherapist, psychologist, clinical psychologist. And what I mean by that is like, follow the rules. Get your hours, right? like Get your hours, right? I did APA internships. I did all of that. I had the most intense internships from the level of violence I would not even want to impart in anyone by saying it and repeating them. I worked with adult sex offenders. I worked with children's sex offenders. I worked in prison systems. I worked with children under the age of eight literally passing on and and dying, um, having stage four cancer, um, at Oakland children's hospital. Um, when I tell you that I placed myself and I say this purposely in every single possible position, I could think because there was some part of me that felt that I had to do that, that I almost needed to place myself in the most intense internships, um, even if it was like ripping me up inside or affecting my sleep or affecting my mental health or my relationships, dot, dot, dot. I also worked at UCSF AIDS Health Project as an intern. So that's a little bit about some (laughs) of the work I did. Um, And so trauma was like my middle and last Mm. name, you know, and anyone that was going to be around me in some way, shape or form had to be willing, consciously or not, to participate in a world that kind of grew very dark, right. <laughs> you know, You know, because my life was very heavy in that way. And I grew heavy and no one was talking to me about having emotional boundaries, energetic boundaries, about how I was absorbing things. Nobody was talking about, hey, are you letting this go? Are you transmuting this? Like, what are you doing with all this trauma that you're hearing or how does that impact you in your body? None of my programs ever addressed the emotional ramifications of being a psychotherapist, mm. right, or clinician, or however you want to call it. Um, and so I ended up coming back to the East Coast for my APA internship. I worked on a, on a residential unit with um, male-identified individuals that um, had committed sex, offenden- sex offenses that were adolescents.
0: So this is fucking hard. Yeah,
2: <laughs> right. This is like I thought the hardest
0: potentially. This right, is
2: hard. Yes, yes, and and you know started to really unpack and really see how my own childhood trauma and history of abuse, whether remembered or not, completely remembered parts of it or not, was starting to deeply impact the work I was choosing, and that this in turn. I was having flashbacks and memories of things. Uh, how do I say this? And this goes into me being a, a therapist, right? And, 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 and I'm sorry, being a patient in therapy right, right. or a client in therapy. Um, I remember my, my therapist at the time, who was with me for 10 plus years with me when I got married, when I got divorced, like, you know, her saying to me, um, Are these your own memories? Right? And I remember looking at her and I was like, Oh, doctor, are you allowed to ask me that? Like, I feel you know, we, we had that kind of relationship. Like, Ooh, like she was a highly spiritual being. I was a highly spiritual being. And she said, all of this is welcome here. And I'm like, yeah. And I started crying immediately. And then I told her about this little female spirit that was torturing me when I was a kid outside my window. And I was like, are you going to hospitalize me? And I see people's auras and, Da-da-da-da-da. And I have to bring in co- large quantities of light because this is my da-da-da-da. this is my role in the world. And this is what I was told at a three, two years old when I cracked myself in my head. And they said, we're not going to let you die right now. You're coming back. And, you know, I went into this whole thing with her sobbing. Wow. Not only did she go over time. <gasps> gasp. Because <laughs> therapy world. <right> now. <laughs> Sorry, I have a big mouth. A big laugh. In the therapy world, it's like. You have poor boundaries. You went over time, you know, I used to get in trouble for that shit. Right. Right. And thank you. And that's it. (laughs) She went over time which she never did. And she took a deep breath and she got closer. It was appropriate, loving. I had been working with her for like two years or a year and a half. We had a relationship. And she said, imagine me reaching out and putting my hand on yours. And I'm like, you can, it's fine. It's like, like I tell you everything in my life, but we're not allowed to just even like Touch, embrace, right. love it, like respectfully. Right. We eventually did. But, you know, and she's just like, you are not crazy. And I know that word has so many connotations and I, I don't mean to repeat it in that way, but she said, you are not crazy. And oh my gosh, I was on my knees on the floor sobbing. Right. Wow. And so... Um, she and I continue to do great work together. We had boundaries and I respected her life and I didn't know a great deal about her life. And she allowed me to learn about energetic boundaries. She, we were able to talk about meridians and chakras and energetic bodies because it was already something I was seeing and experiencing. If she didn't know she was connecting me with other people. You know, she would connect me with people. Jennifer, I was in this meditation and this name came to me. I don't know if this means anything to you. That is what I needed. Mm. I didn't need somebody to start putting up all of these boundaries and rules and not allow me to be close enough because that was just re-traumatizing me, right? Like, go, we don't do that here. We don't do that. I was a highly sensitive child, mm. right? Highly sensitive. Quick story. And I'm going to explain Uh, I I don't remember this. I was told by multiple family members that I got sent to the principal's office in kindergarten. He, 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 he. I was a little troublemaker from from the start because the teacher that I loved a lot and loved me and loved my mom and loved my mom's cupcakes. I just want to (laughs) say, got really pissed when um, I guess she was having a bad day and she started speaking pretty intensely to some of my classmates. I can take the abuse. That seems to be the theme in the life. Mm. So Um, she's yelling at everybody. And I was like, Miss so-and-so, please stop it. You're just mad because your husband's cheating on you. Oh my God. (laughs) And he was. Come to find out. Oh my
0: God. How did you find that out?
2: Exactly. And mind you, I was born in 78. So there's no cell phone. There's no, I knew like that happened. This is from a very young age with a capital K. I just Knew. knew things. Wow. I just knew um and i'm like it's not our fault you can't treat us like that just because you're sad and upset and you know i was like you need to go talk to your mom the way i talk to my mom you know and wow like that was me at a very very young age and i got sent to the principal's office because you can't talk to your teacher like that air quotes right and um principals like jen you know you can't draw on the bathroom wall and i'm like but it's happy faces <laughs> and they're like you can't talk to invisible people in class you can't say things about your teacher that are true. Like, she can't yell at us. Like, you know, so and, and they would laugh at me and at the same time be, like, exasperated and, like, you're fucking driving us nuts. Right. And can you come get your daughter? And I would get, I would get punished because my parents didn't. Even though my mom experienced it, she didn't want me to be that kid and have that kind of trouble right. in my life. You know, so I hope I'm answering your questions. I know that was really long. No, was like no, ten minutes.
0: No. I mean... I think, I think it's an important response because there's this idea of your intuition and spirituality having impacted you from a very young age and you kind of craving to be in tune with that in a way that was healing to yourself and potentially other people. So that's, that's what I gather from that. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for putting it together like that for me. Yeah. When you're traveling, you don't have access to your amazing sex goodies stash. So, you start to pack your lube for sexy time in your toiletry bag, and when you open your bag back up, the lube you packed, of course, spills all over your toothbrush, makeup, and floss picks. Enter a brand new product from UberLube that will get your lube to your destination without spillage. They're new good-to-go travelers, perfect for your purse, pocket, gym bag, or carry-on luggage, the Good2Go Traveler features the same Uberlube product in a discreet aluminum traveler that comes in six colors. Try Uberlube and their Good2Go Traveler now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Ever since getting engaged to my wonderful fiance, I've been thinking about ways to keep things fun and novel between us, but I, of course, want it to feel organic. I wanna be able to feel sexy and comfortable in my body while trying something new. Thanks to Lion's Den, a new adventure I've been exploring is the world of lingerie. I never really was a big lingerie girl myself, but once I started trying on lingerie that accentuated my curves, felt super soft to the touch, and made me look in the mirror and felt wildly confident in my skin, that changed pretty quickly. Plus, when I searched for what I might like on Lion's Den's website, I saw models that actually looked like me. They were curvy and thick and voluptuous, and it made all the difference to see models that have my body type. Want to join me in my new lingerie chapter? Right now, you can use code SEXED with DV for 15% off your purchase in-store and online at lionsden.com. Follow them on social media at Lions Den Adult on IG and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. When it comes to anal sex, what comes to mind? If you're a beginner like so many of us out there, maybe you feel scared, unsure, or just plain uneducated. Future Method can help with that. Founded by a doctor and anal sex expert, Future Method develops science-backed products and non-judgmental, doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog started by the gay community and now for everyone that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Finally, we can travel again. If you're like me, I bet you want a little pleasure while you're away, but can't fit your entire sex toy collection in your carry-on, huh? Say hello to the Magic Wand Mini. Born into such a famous family, this little wand has quite a reputation to uphold. Challenge accepted. Offering big power, multiple speeds, and unsurpassed quality, the full-featured Magic Wand Mini is more than simply a smaller sibling. It's here to create a legacy all its own. Want to win a Magic Wand Mini for your next trip or staycation? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more.
1: How can I choose the right sex toy for me? This is a great question. Is the
0: porn that you watch ethical? Let's find out.
1: What if my partner does not want to use a condom? I love this question.
0: This is Curious Sex Ed.
1: A podcast where two real sex educators answer even realer sex ed questions that you write into us.
0: We believe that curiosity around bodies, relationships, and sexuality is for everyone.
1: Learn with us as we educate about amazing sex ed topics and share juicy personal stories along the way.
0: Want to join our Bestie crew to gain access to Curious Sex Ed?
1: Listen to the first three episodes of Curious Sex Ed for free wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And tune into the rest of the season exclusively on buymeacoffee.com slash Ed. So moving on a little bit, kind of the same topic, but I want to talk more about decolonizing therapy because you gave us this really beautiful introduction. And I want to be really clear about what exactly you do there and hear a little bit more about the organization and and what it looks like, right? So this is an organization that's dedicated to providing training and workshops for therapists, nonprofits, and professional associations. And I'm wondering, like, what have you learned as being the founder of this amazing organization and international movement? And what, what do you, what does this organization do in these trainings and workshops? And what are, what are some of the, the ways that folks are learning and unlearning things in them? Yeah,
2: great questions.
0: Um, decolonizing therapy is very much about helping
2: people to unlearn And relearn our natural, I believe, state. I believe that decolonizing therapy is shadow work on a collective level. Um, And what I mean by that very clearly is that um, we're picking up what is happening internationally and globally related to mental health themes, um, how spirituality is often co-opted from various people, places, and spaces and has been for very many years and even how the mental health systems um, punish, kind of like we were just talking about, punish whether or not that they're, that is there in people and places and spaces that are in opposition or trying to push up against whatever the norm is. So for example, um When we look at diagnosis and we look at children, we see a lot of diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, intermittent explosive disorder. And if you look at the statistics, mostly it is young Black children, particularly male-identified children, that are given those diagnoses most often. Really, A, this disorder, all of these disorders are behavioral. None of them really speak to the root cause or the issue. And even if you look at, and this is my opinion, even if you look at anxiety, right, those are a set of symptoms, right? That is not a person, in my humble opinion, and that does not describe a person. Mm-hmm. We can say a person is anxious, but all of this is a form, it could be a form of dangerous mind control. And as we see, We do have generations of people um, identifying, feeling as though they are this. Mm -hmm. Even though they know they're not, there's an aspect of, well, I'm just a really anxious person. Well, I'm just blah, 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 blah. And I don't blame people for that. So part of what I believe decolonizing therapy we have been trying to do is educate on A, how historical and intergenerational trauma is one of our soul wounds, right? Roberto Duran, who is the writer of Native American post-colonial psychology, um, it, it has written about and talked about the soul wound for many, many years. And we have many indigenous elders, and when I say indigenous, global indigenous elders across the globe that have been talking about this out of body spirit experience that happens when a people or culture experiences Uh, an attempted genocide, a war, a sense of intense violence based on who they are. And so the thing is, if we continue to be hunted, harmed, and hurt (laughs) based off of simply who we are and how we walk in the world, and then we're given a diagnosis Mm. to say, hey, you're anxious, you're depressed. You're, and again, not that these things don't exist. I'm not saying it doesn't exist or that there's no such thing as a biological component to them, but our environment does impact our biology. Right. <laughs> right. And so if you look at the theme, what I'm we're asking people to do are look at all the ways, shapes and places in which our environment Particularly, uh, things like capitalism, right, and colonization continue to impact our well-being. Continues to stop us from having basic needs: clean running water, access to healthcare, right kind of therapy that my child needs. Even though, let's just say, I'm a working mom with a mother at home with Alzheimer's, and I'm working three jobs, and I'm just barely making ends meet because the living wage doesn't fit the minimum wage can I get this great kind of therapy for my child that's cutting edge? Oh, sure. For 500 an hour. Right. That's violent to me. Mm. Right. It's not only violent, but it colludes with things like capitalism. (laughs) Right. And so I laugh because to me, what we do in decolonizing our therapy is just simply reeducation to look, look, this is, this is how colonization has fucked with our mental health. Mm. This is how it was transmitted in all these ways, unconsciously and consciously. This is how it impacts us current day. And here's all the structural pieces like racism, like sexism, ableism. These are all the ways that it continues to impact us. And this is how they get to categorize us and pathologize us. Mm. And here is how we start to rehumanize. And here is how we start to see the humanity. I believe what we do in these undoing workshops, it take the past, invite people to take their innate wisdom, merge it with what is happening in the present and being honest about the kind of grief we're dealing with, the kind of collective soul exhaustion we're dealing with as a collective, and creating something badass that is less
0: incomplete and less violent mm. for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that I, yeah, I really appreciate all of that and feel like I'm sure that therapists who are in these workshops and folks who really want to address these really, really big issues, but are, you know, doing so in their one on one or group therapy practices, it's kind of like a both end, right? It's like, how do we work within the current system, but shift the way in which we're, we're dealing with that and slowly radicalize it, right? I mean, like how, yep. how else is that? Is, is that how you would describe it?
2: Yeah, I think that for now, the kind of therapies that we have now are probably, for some people, work, right? For some people that probably can pay a little bit more or that can pay out of pocket, probably many that people can find what they need but i do believe that eventually the whole paradigm will be shifted Um, and i believe that that is going to continue to be a collective effort so for now i do believe that we need what we have there's so much pain there's so much grief there's so much collective trauma but i do believe it is incomplete and insufficient and um I do think that that the more that people have what we see as marginalized identities, the more we feel the incompleteness
0: at that. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah, 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 it really does. Okay, so what I want to shift to next, you briefly mentioned this, uh, the idea of rage and grief, you know, the idea that. Uh, folks are doing rage workshops with you, and they're crying and they're throwing up and they're you know all of the all of this you know like anger and pain like comes out, right? And you kind of are self named the rage doctor, and you talk about honoring rage and grief a lot. and I'd love if you could talk about why in work like this, we shouldn't shy away from things like rage and grief, but potentially center it in some experiences.
2: Yeah, thank you. After it was after a retreat,
0: a rage retreat,
2: where my prior university students are like, we're calling you the rage doctor. And that got that I was like, no, please don't. That sounds so dark. And they're like, nope, nope, nope. That's this you. work, you know. Yeah. And then it, it it spread on campus and the people would be like, what's up, rage doc? what's up rage doc? Oh, I, I, I have a session with you next week. I can't wait rage doctor. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. And so that's kind of how that popped off. Um, I will say that I think that rage is often misunderstood. I believe again, like many other emotions it is often pathologized. Um, I am not a proponent or I do not ask anyone to be violent towards anyone else. To uh, The purpose of rage work is to do the preliminary work to befriend and start to love on your rage child, your rage adolescent, your rage adult self, um, or your rage ancestral inheritance. So I think that rage is often getting a bad rap the way that other mental health diagnoses or issues or expressions of pain often come about. And my work has always been A, to... do the work around my own reach because I was holding a lot for my family without realizing it as a child and as a teen. And I think not being able to honor my spiritual ways of knowing created more trauma for me and more anger and resentment, right? Cause I would get in trouble for being sensitive. I would get in trouble for crying about something. I would get in trouble for not wanting to fight someone. I would get in trouble for, um, I, you know, I lived in a tough environment and, I think that my rage, there's disguise as a rage, I should say that too. Um, and many people's rage is a barometer. Mm. And it's also a boundary maker. It's a way of saying, hey, um, this has crossed my boundary. I don't like this. Or this is unjust. This is not fair. And this is not on a heady, intellectualized level. I need to stress this. And this is why I believe that it's easy to pathologize anger and rage. Although those are two very separate emotions because rage is actually super authentic. It's super honest. It's very, um, I know this is going to sound so odd, but like pure. It's not a very pure emotion. I completely emotion. That's kinda, agree. Right? Like, yeah, it's kind of like being in love. It's like, you know, when you are and you can't yes. make it, right? Like, it's you know, it's okay to mm-hmm. not be, People could see it in you, right? or like yeah. around you, or they're just like, "Uh, where are you going? <laughs> Why do you sound so happy?" Right, and and with rage, my experience is, um, no matter how much we try to cover it up and mask it, and understandably, masking it saves many lives, especially the darker you are, right, or the bigger you are, or if you're visibly disabled. We know that law enforcement will react to individuals that are having a psychiatric break with reality and may have bigger bodies, darker bodies, be disabled physically, and um, either hospitalize them faster or harm them or kill them or choke them or dot, 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 dot. So we understand that masking our rage is a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. It's a defense mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. And it is a way to survive. It is an evolutionary process. However, feeling rage is, in my opinion, extremely ancestral meaning, that it's not just ours we're feeling, that it is also, again, this is where it goes into decolonizing therapy and the colonial wound. Sometimes I say, everything in me felt that every ancestor in me stood up and Mm. felt that. And that's when I feel that rage come in me. I don't act on it anymore the way that I used to when I was younger. But generally, I know when it's time to, like, cry in a pillow, when I'm really feeling grief. Generally, I know, um, like, for example, when um, I know with the murder of Trayvon Martin going way back to the beginning of some people's awakenings, you know, when it comes Mm -hmm. to racial identity and equity and what have you, um, this is, you know, understanding that black bodies – were being killed faster and poor bodies were being killed faster with something that was very known and understood to me and my family personally. However, with the death and the murder of Trayvon Martin, when George Zimmerman was found innocent, I remember sitting in my living room and without from one second to the next bellowing and screaming at the top of my lungs, Ah, like it was it was like even thinking about it, it gives me goosebumps, right? Because it reminds me of my reaction to watching the Twin Towers mm. fall in front of me, like you know, across the river, just like literally watching them fall, thinking, what is that? Is that debris? Are those people? What are those little things? Like literally, it's that kind of feeling where everything in me just gets one massive goosebump. And I remember thinking this young man was, this was unnecessary. This was gunned down. And this was like a a lynching, even though he was not choked out. This was an act of violence. And I remember this, even though I haven't seen this before in this Mm -hmm. body, why do I feel like I've been here before? Right. And this isn't about just something I read. And so I think for many folks, um, whose people have histories of violence, rage becomes this, uh, ancestral inheritance. And so my teacher Ruth King would say it is rage is the love child of trauma and shame. Mm. Right. And I would lovingly add that it is the end. It is the love child of ancestral trauma, grief Mm. and shame, you know? Um, and I think that rage work will continue to be necessary as we move forward in this world. Totally.
0: Yeah. I really relate to this as someone who, um, Feels my emotions very deeply and expresses them very deeply. And that doesn't always go with how other people around you feel and receive emotions. And so, you know, fee- I feel this idea very strongly of when I feel rage and I run really hot, I express it. And I think that yeah. it's interesting to think about how that. How that goes or doesn't go with the people around you who you are in relationship with. And like, sometimes I wonder, depending obviously on what exactly it is, like, why don't you feel rage? (laughs) Like, there is so much to be angry about, and there are so many injustices in our communities, you know, nationally, globally. And I am inspired by rage. I feel like it makes me feel. Uh, like it's important and essential to the rest of my feelings and my identities. And so I really, really yes. relate to what you just said. I love that. Yeah. And, and yeah, I love what you said about like, why
2: are you not feeling rage? Because when people say to me, and this might be some of the listeners out there, so this, let me just offer this reframe because people will say, I don't, I don't, like, fuck with rage. Like, I, it's not a thing. I don't feel it. I don't, it's not in my life. And I said, okay, well, you know, take this self-assessment, you know, in Ruth King's book, Healing Rage, you know, and just see if that's true because there's disguises of rage. Mm. And, you know, and she goes into really beautifully how some of these disguises of rage keeping us alive, right? Keeping us well, keeping us in our jobs, maybe keeping us <laughs> not cussing out our family members. Mm. Um, there is. There, and they relate to like fight, flight, freeze, right? There's depression, not in a clinical sense, but in the energy sense of depression, uh, devotion, dependence, distraction, dominance, and defiance. Those are the six um, disguises of rage according to Ruth King's work. And I find that when I was working with people, um, they would come into me and often say, you know, I'm just angry. It's just anger. And we would really differ between the experience of anger, which is also really healthy, and the experience of rage, which often after experiencing or expressing it leaves a hangover feeling. Mm. I call it a rage hangover. I know for me it's a toxic tonic of uh, shame, of Oh, I could have said that differently, or did I ruin this relationship? I'm beating myself up. So sometimes my rage, and sometimes some people's rage, is very uh, justice centered and eloquent, right? And sometimes our rage is messy, yeah. You know, as <laughs> all yeah, and, it, and it's yeah. like you know, it can and it can make other people feel unsafe, mm. and then it creates this kind of cocktail of. You're harming me. Well, you're harming me, and you're not letting me express myself, right. and so on and so forth. And I know many people, including myself, that when they're truly in a rage, they can't stop it. And we're not talking about physically harming, but you know, yelling feeling or you know, even though I can see myself you're feeling it, I can say no, 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 no <laughs> internally, like no, 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 or, or step out of the room. It's coming anyway. Right. And someone or many people need to receive it, right. you, you know? And it, and what I can say about our rage and why I believe it's sacred is that it demands a space to be heard, to be seen, and it also demands for us to fully witness and have witness. And that's why I think like retreats and workshops are extremely powerful when looking at our it's rage. It's making me yeah.
0: emotional, I think, like just to reframe it like that because- I really, I really, yeah, trust and believe that like my rage is not necessarily other people's responsibility, but it does mean something for other people to acknowledge it and to, and to understand it. And I think that is like extremely powerful for me personally as someone who like really, really is a passionate person who lives in my emotions. And I'm so like, I, I, like like we said before, like we're very deep into conversation with people and that means something to us and like our souls and our hearts yeah. and the negative, you know, emotions, rage being a positive and a negative, depending on how, how you're feeling it, depending on what that means to yeah. you, uh, are just as important, yeah. right? Like the hard emotions, I'll say, are just as important.
2: Are just as important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love this conversation. I would, I would love for folks to know that you have a book coming out, and it is called "Decolonizing." I forgot about that. <laughs> um, and your book is "Decolonizing Therapy: Oppression, Historical Trauma, and Politicizing Your Practice." And I would love for you to just tell me, like, what you hope folks are able to understand about their own practices, and like. What, how, like, how has your therapy practice changed or shifted since writing this book?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yes. Um, this book might as well be a baby. And I know people have mixed feelings about that, but I feel like this is my love letter to younger me. This is my love letter to therapists that know that there's more, know that there's another way and know that And want to hear more about how the wounds of colonization, how being removed and forcibly sometimes removed from our ways and our customs and our lands, impact people more than we communicate. Um, This book is also for the everyday person, although it is, you know, a little bit heavy. I take that back. It is heavier in some like jargon, and, you know, I'm working on looking at the ways in which. Higher ed has also conditioned me, right? And how I talk about colonization and rape and all these things. But what I will say is that um, this book covers energetic boundaries. There's a whole chapter on the rage grief access and how that shows up. There's a whole chapter on ancestral trauma and ancestral ways and how it's been co-opted by therapy. There's a whole chapter on diagnostic enslavement and the roots of psychology and the mental health complex and how things like revolution were then diagnosed. (laughs) How when people spoke out that they were being harmed, it was then pathologized. And so I do think that there's a lot of history in this book, as well as exercises, affirmations, personal stories, um, quote unquote, true, but case study stories, but not (laughs) change names and change information from people I've worked with. As well as examples on how to work with individuals in a more soul, somatic, um, sort of spiritual sense, right? right? Honoring culture and identity. So, yeah, I'm really proud of this. It's taken years. It's taken sometimes blood, sweat, and tears, crying on my floor, and other times writing beautifully and violently. And I got Mm -hmm. this. I got this. (laughs) The book will be out in November. Um, so that is uh, the date I, and yeah, I'm looking forward to also having a book club Yes, um, because I think that people will need to just like break it down bit by bit. It's it's like 400 and something pages. So it's, let me just say, (laughs) it's the manual I sort of wish. I had mm-hmm. at some point in my life.
0: Uh, well, I personally can't wait to read it. So I'm really, really glad that we're connected and that we had this really wonderful conversation. Um, it was very meaningful to me. So, again, thank you so much for being on. And I would love for you to just share where folks could find you and where they could get your work. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. Um, they, you can find me at www.decolonizingtherapy.com or dr dr.jennifermullen.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Decolonizing Therapy um, or on Twitter at Dr. Jenny Jen M.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, thank you again, Dr. Jennifer Mullen. You're amazing, very inspiring. I can't wait to read your book. So, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. And thank you to community. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalow. Our producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our associate producer and communications coordinator is Sadie Luigi. Our marketing coordinator is Kate Fiala. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thanks so much to our featured guests, partners, and listeners want to partner with us email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com for more sex ed content follow us on instagram at sexedwithdb podcast and on tiktok at sexedwithdb for exclusive content and to submit an anonymous sex ed question check out my new podcast on fridays curious sex ed hosted with mariah caudillo of sex ed files go to buymeacoffee.com curious sex to learn more see you next time